0: For the final time under its current name, you are listening to the Heartland Author Podcast. I am Aaron Apollo Camp. For the sixth season finale of this podcast, I had the opportunity to interview the Reverend Dr. David Schotka Reverend Dr. Chotka is the founder and co-director of the Transdenominational Christian Equipping Ministry, Spirit Equip Ministries. And Reverend Dr. Chotka wrote the book, Hey, Are You There? It's Me, God. And he also co-wrote the book Healing Prayer with the Reverend Matsy Dunham. I'm here with David Chotka, who is an author and an equipping ministry co-founder. David, welcome to the Heartland Author Podcast.
1: Well, thank you, Aaron. It's nice to be on your program.
0: Feel free to introduce yourself to our
1: listeners. Well, sure. So I'm a pastor with the Christian Missionary Alliance. I have been for for decades, which is most disturbing to me. (laughs) But uh, I'm also an author and I'm a conference speaker. I've been a local church pastor for years. And now what I'm doing is uh, writing and traveling and creating resources and doing conference ministry and those kinds of things. And I actually make a living at it, which is quite remarkable. So there you go. I have my doctorate. uh, I have an American degree. I have three Canadian degrees and one American degree. I'm a Canadian. I live just across the border from Detroit. So if I get out of my house and I walk about 200 yards, I come to the Detroit River and on the other side is Michigan. So there you go.
0: In a geographical oddity, you live south of the United States. Isn't that
1: bizarre? You have to drive north to get across the border. It's true. Although I'm not quite sure if that's going to be true. with the building a new bridge, so I'm not sure. Yeah, if that the
0: Gordie Howe Bridge that's under construction, named after the, the hockey legend. Yeah, now that's a good name for it, because he was a
1: Canadian guy who played for the Detroit Red Wings. So there you go.
0: You founded the equipping ministry, Spirit Equip Ministries. Now, before I started writing down interview questions i did not i've never heard of the term equipping ministry until then so for those of you who are unfamiliar with uh, those of our listeners i should say who are unfamiliar with the concept of an equipping ministry what is an equipping ministry it's where we put the tools
1: in your hands to be able to do the job that's what it boils down to so it's a you could say it's a spiritual formation website or you could say that it's a training place Really, I would say it's a training place. And if you look at my website, you'll see that I talk about training people in spiritual disciplines one small step at a time. And that's exactly what I do.
0: Recently, and this was published, I think, late last month, a book you co-wrote with the the Reverend Dr. Maxie Dunham called Healing Prayer. Now, without spoiling too much of Healing Prayer, what is that book about?
1: Well, exactly what the title says. The the subtitle puts it perfectly in perspective. The subtitle is uh, God's Idea for Restoring Body, Mind, and Spirit. And the book itself is about um, how both Maxie and I have learned how to enter into times of prayer for people in distress, whether that's physical, mental, emotional, or spiritual, And the results that we have seen in the middle of that praying, there have been several miraculous accounts that are medically verified in that book. There are times when you're led in the pathway to a remedy. There are times when you just don't know what you're going to do next, and you don't know what the answer is going to be. There are times when you simply are given the resources to be able to carry through with what you've got. And then at the end of life, there's there's this preparing yourself to go to the other side. So healing prayer encompasses all of those. And um, it's the, the, the book starts, actually, with two miracle stories that surprised both me and my co-author, Maxie. Now, Maxie is a million-seller in the prayer tradition. He used to be the, uh, the upper room editor, and uh, he's written more than 50 books. It's really quite a remarkable thing that I should be writing with him. I've written five, but uh, his very, the very first book of his that I read had to do with learning how to pray and structure around praying. And it's a delight to to actually be in partnership with him and start to learn this. But uh, the, the book begins with me tripping into healing prayer. Do you want to hear that story? Go right ahead. Okay, well, here's what happened. I was a seminary student training for the ministry. And I had never, ever, ever once seen a miraculous healing. Nobody had tried to teach me about it. I didn't know anybody who had been involved in one or been the recipient of one. And uh, the trouble was, you know, the Bible says that that that's supposed to happen, but I think it was eight or nine years uh, walking with the Lord, and I'd never, ever, ever seen one. And I went to a seminary, and in the seminary, there were people who were skeptical of the miraculous events that are named in Scripture. And whenever one of those things would happen, I would stand up in the class, and I would say, oh, by the way, I think those are historical realities, And, um, oh, by the way, I think that Jesus did, in fact, walk on water or Moses did split the sea or whatever. And in the class, there was a classmate and the guy could have been a stand up comic. He was astonishingly hilarious. And uh, he was uh, sort of on the skeptical side of the equation. And when I would defend the historicity of the Bible text or talk about that, He would he would throw a joke in the middle of the room and the whole room would just explode in laughter. And it was so hilarious the way that he would use incongruity. And everybody would laugh until sometimes we were crying because we laughed so hard. The trouble was I was usually the object of the humor. And in the course of time, it just kind of hurt. And so I stopped ignoring the the guy, you know, and I I started ignoring him. And I I thought, okay I'm never going to be his friend. But we had friends in common. His wife was lovely, and we had a friend named, uh, uh, I'm going to call her Susie in the book because that's what I call her. We had a mutual friend who was a sweet, kind, gentle, sweet, uh, soft-spoken Christian lady. Anyway, whenever he was with these friends, things were fine. Whenever I was in the class alone and trying to defend the historicity of the scripture, he'd go after me. And so, you know, I had classes with him, so I couldn't avoid this. But one day I was going to a class and I met one of, one of the mutual friends, her, you know, this girl named Susie. Anyway, she said, oh, by the way, Uh, our friends in the hospital and I, you know what? I have to tell you something here. And I didn't feel bad (laughs) because I was going to hurt so bad to be teased by him. Anyway, then I realized that was a bad thing. And I had to say, I'm sorry about that. And then I said, well, where is he in a hospital? And she pointed down the road, we were in the university area and there was a university hospital about six blocks down the road. And he was in there and I said, what's wrong with him? And she said, well, he's got phlebitis. If you don't, your ministers don't know what that is. That's where a clot forms in a vein. And if the clot breaks free and it travels through your bloodstream and gets to your lung or your brain, it will kill you 95 times out of 100. And if it doesn't kill you, you're, you're, you're done for life. You, you, you're terrifically set back and handicapped and so on. It's a very, very serious affliction. Very serious. At any rate, the bottom line was this, um, this um, girl said to me, well, he's, he's got phlebitis and he's in the hospital. And I said, oh, I'm, I'm terribly sorry. That's awful. And uh, I said, is he getting good care? And she said, yes, but he's asked me a favor. I said, what's that? She said, he wants you to go and pray for him. I said, what? <laughs> well, he, he's made, he made fun of that very thing just the other day. And she said, yes, I know he did, but he wants you to go and pray for him. And I looked at this friend of ours and I said, I'm not going. I don't believe it. And I have a number of reasons for saying that. He had always mocked me and I didn't want to be made a laughingstock. Secondly, I'd never been taught or trained. Thirdly, I didn't know what to do. Fourthly, I just wasn't sure I wanted to do that kind of a thing. I, and actually, I wasn't even sure if I, I kind of knew it was true, but I'd never seen it. So away I went. The next day in the coffee lounge, there's the same girl. She walks up to me. She says the same thing to me. And I said, well, I'm not going. And she said, well, he apologized. He told me he was terribly sorry and that he would like you to come anyway. I said, I just don't believe it. So, so third time. So Aaron, has your, as your mother ever told you off, you know, so here's the bottom line. She looked at me and when, when my mother ever told me off, she would get really mad. Her eyes would light up with fire. She would insert my middle initial and she'd stomp her foot. Well, this lovely Christian girl did just that. She got fire in her eyes. She stomped her foot and she used my middle initial. David R. Chotka, aren't you going around this school telling everybody that the Bible is true and should be obeyed? I said, well, Yes. And she said, well, how about this scripture? I was sick and you visited me. And suddenly it was like a fell blow in the center of my being. I thought, oh man, I'm going to have to go see the guy. So after my class was done, I walked down the street, the six blocks, I went into the university hospital, found his room and Aaron, it was very serious. You could see he was wired for sound that, you know, there were machines going off and there were tubes going into his body. And, there were monitors in the room and people walking in back and forth with, you know, pads of paper trying to figure what was going on with this. But when the day was done, I started to talk to him and I, I started to visit with him about the weather. And then I talked about coursework and I said, well, I visited you now. And then he looked at me and he said this. Aren't you? Aren't you going to pray? And I stopped and I looked at him and I said, look, every single time I said that this is true every single time i've said things like this actually happened you have mocked my faith and he looked at me and he was a 27 year old man and he started to cry buckets i mean we're talking about heartfelt sorrow and in the middle of that he finally said i am so sorry i did that to you i apologize and i'm going to ask you to forgive me but i have phlebitis i could die i want to live and you're the only person I know who believes that the Bible is completely true. Won't you please pray for the Lord to heal me? Well, I don't know what you do with that kind of a thing, but my heart was moved and suddenly I wanted to, but I didn't know what I was doing. But I did remember in the scripture, it said that Jesus placed his hands on people and prayed for them. So I thought I better, maybe I should do that. So I went around to the side of his bed. I said, where's the phlebitis? He said, left arm, just above my elbow. So I put my hand there with his permission. I put my other hand in his head. And to this day, I cannot remember what I prayed. I'm sure I stumbled and fumbled and mumbled something. And it was all to the effect of, oh, God, would you please have mercy on this man? Mm -hmm. And as I was doing it, there was a tangible change inside me, inside him, and in the fragrance of the room. The, The whole place seemed to fill with With an overflow of love and compassion and and focus. Uh, The only thing I could see when I started that prayer, when I started the prayer, I could see the room when I was in the prayer. All that I could see was him in distress. And there was this overwhelming compassion for him and this conviction that God wanted him well. And suddenly my being filled up with fire, the fire flowed down my arm, went into his arm. And then he said, fiery presence, what, what is that? I said, that's the presence of Jesus by his spirit, he's healing you. And then I raced out of the room because I was terrified. (laughs) I had never experienced anything like that before, nor had I ever seen it before. And I didn't know what to make of it. Well, the very next day at four o'clock in the afternoon, I saw him in the coffee lounge in the school. And I said, you're here in the room. He said, I am. And we were in a 19th century building that was made of stone and it had those fluted columns that stuck out into the hallway with a very hard surface. And he pulled me into the corner of one of those little fluted column areas. He looked in all directions. And then he looked at me and he said, that prayer changed my life. And I said, thank you. And I ran away again. (laughs) Months later, he told me that when I had left, the nurse was walking in and he said to the nurse, I can go home now. My friend from the Bible school came and prayed for me. Jesus has healed me. (laughs) And she said, we don't do that around here. And they ran tests and Aaron without exaggeration. every single vestige of phlebitis from his body was gone. There wasn't a trace of it. He was completely well. And uh, from that point forward, he began to testify about God's power to heal. Well that started me on this journey of learning about healing prayer and the uh, and, and how, a, how a human can access the power of God to be able to pray for another. Maxi's story is very different. His first account with this was where his grandson was diagnosed with nystagmus in his eyes, eyes that would just keep moving. And optic nerve hyphoplasia, which means that the nerve is about half the size and it's, it's a sick nerve and the kid be mostly blind. And um, he got people praying, but he, there, there was no sense of power, no sense of active agency or whatever. And his, uh, his daughter and grandson and husband moved to a different town, changed doctors, went to see the next doc. And for the record, the man who was married to Kim, uh, Maxie's daughter, Kimberly, was married to a medical doctor, and he was going to another town to pursue medical um, uh, scholarship and, and study more. And so he's a, he's, they were very astute medically. They knew all about science and, and how medicine works and so on, and great respect for the medical field. Well, she took her son to the eye doctor to be examined. He looked in, saw no nystigmas, and saw that the optic nerve hypoplasia wasn't there at all they got three opinions. It was completely restored. And in the whole process, uh, they discovered that this child had been healed of optic nerve hypoplasia, which was incurable. It was the most amazing thing. In fact, uh, here's the the backside of the story. Just as the book was being published, that grandson turned 30 and got married and he's well. So those two stories start the book. One was the instant heal. One was the gradual heal, and in in the book also, we talk about those times when you pray into holy mystery, and you don't see an answer that you want, or you see a partial answer, and the partial answer is granted and not the full one. But we talk about how people are to do this, what it feels like, what it looks like, how you learn this, how you practice this, and how not to be a blithering idiot who is insensitive when somebody's in terrific suffering and pain. So that's the journey, Aaron. What do you think? that is, that was an amazing story. Thank you. Well, I, I tripped into it. It wasn't my idea. <laughs> so this, this is where the title came from healing prayer. God's idea. Well, it wasn't my idea to do that prayer time. It was not my idea at all. And so, um, but I've, I've seen this. I, and so what you have in the book. And of course that event happened. Oh, decades ago. There are fresh ones that are still happening, but, but a few years back, my wife was dramatically healed of muscular dystrophy and muscular dystrophy cannot be healed. And, uh, it was an amazing kind of a thing. We had borne long with this and, um, do you want to hear that story? Is that something you want to hear?
0: Uh, no, no, we've got. Uh, I've got several more questions to ask, and okay, you ask I've only question. got about twenty minutes.
1: So. All right, then you ask your questions, and people can get the book
0: if they, re- if they want to read that story. Okay. Now, what is it like to work with the Reverend Doctor Dunham on a book writing project? Do you know that's very? That's a very interesting question.
1: I have written five books. Uh, four of them on the market right now. Three of them were my own writing. And when you do your own writing, uh, you don't have a style question. You don't have an idea question. You don't have a flow question. When you're writing with another author, you have to both agree that what you're going to do is this much. And sometimes even a word in a sentence can change the way you write it. So Maxie's a great friend and he's a great mentor. He has written more than 50 books and he's got a million seller called The Workbook of Living Prayer. And that book is actually an equipping book. Millions have used it. To learn how to pray. But I mean the guy's seasoned, and I'm I'm a rookie in comparison to him. But I'll just tell you that we it was not hard to agree, excuse me, to agree to do it. It was hard to agree on writing style, paragraph structure, and the flow of the writing. Do you know what I'm talking about here? Yeah. So, yeah, he's he's a southern gentleman, I'm a Canadian, and he's got a way of talking. I got a way of talking. By the way, I can tell you how to spell Canada, A. It's C, A. N A D A. Canadians say after the anyway, something, but you know he is he was a seasoned writer. I'm am I'm a, I'm I'm not new to it, but I'm not in the same category as him. He was actually the the national the international director of the Upper Room Publishing House, and so he's written he's written all kinds of books with, and he's he's vetted all kinds of authors, and so to write with him was a great privilege. And there was one time where we disagreed about something. And I have to tell you, it was a hard thing to say to someone as sweet and kind and as skilled and as wise as him that I thought that his writing wasn't right. (laughs) That was and so eventually we we got an editor and the editor made the final decision. It was kind of a halfish thing around this one area of, of writing. And so we looked at each other and both laughed. Usually though, writing with him was simple because he was very gracious and very kind. He had actually uh, wrote the foreword to my first book. And so we we knew each other through that. That book came out in 2009. And then I added material for a book that he wrote about two years later, a a book called The Workbook of Abiding in Christ. And so I wound up contributing to that book, although it was just a small contribution. Then when I did my doctoral work, At Gordon Conwell Seminary, he was the second reader of my thesis. And so he knew my writing style really well because of all of those things. And I knew his because I'd read seven of his uh, 50 plus books and really respected uh, the way he went at things and his approach to writing and so on. He is really, first and foremost, a devotional writer who wants to make it easy for people to learn the subject that he's writing about. And the way that I learned from him was to adapt his style to my own. And so when it came time to write together, it was a joy more, it, you know, and sometimes, you know, you're under the gun, you gotta get a chapter done. And sometimes it'd be a sentence or two to be out of place. So you, you do, you thank the Lord, back in the old days, you had to mail these things, right? Now you can do the instant send with the computer. You just press a button and it goes to somebody's screen. And then you can review it with large printer, small printer, you can highlight things without having to mark it up physically. So that part has made writing considerably easier when you're co-writing. But I will tell you, it's, it's mostly a style issue. It's not so much a content issue. Because theologically, we're on the same page. That, and you know, in terms of what we believe, we're on the same page. And What we wanted to write, it was exactly 100% correct. But every now and then, he wants to say something differently than I did. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about here? Yeah. Yeah, that, that's, that's the issue. So you, you manage it by having gentle conversations and by proposing other ideas, because this wasn't, he does one chapter, I do the next, this was, we're collaborating on the chapter, and we're changing each other's sentence structure, that was what made it difficult to do, but in the end, it got done.
0: Okay, Uh, you've written a a few other books, Uh, what are the names of those, and if you could describe them in just a couple of sentences uh feel free to do so sure
1: my, my very first one was called power praying and that wasn't the title i wanted the publisher changed the title but it was a book about uh, each key word of the lord's prayer and how that works inside the framework of the prayer because i'll just be, be straight with you most people pray the lord's prayer in seconds they say it in the middle of a liturgical service or they say it at the end of the prayer meeting or they say it when they're walking down the road or they heard it on the radio or something like this and actually, the Lord's Prayer was not intended to be prayed just as a rote prayer. It was intended to be memorized so that the keywords that were in the prayer could attach you to all of Jesus' thinking. So what I do in that book is I examine all of how the keywords work inside the framework of Christ's teaching, and then put together a framework to learn that. And I did use Maxie Dunham's style. He wrote the foreword to that. The other book I wrote was on my doctoral thesis. It's called Sifting Our Discerning. And that basically is my doctoral work, and it was published by a German academic publishing house, and it came out in 2014. So this was my scholarly research, where uh, Maxi was my second writer, and um, it, it's basically a, a, it's kind of a thick book, and it's hard to read, you know. So it, and then when in the middle of that, Maxi looked at me and he said, "Now, David, that book is good for your doctoral class, but the average reader won't understand it." Can you take the concepts and the principles that are in that book and put them into simplified language? So I did, and I wrote a I wrote a, a an eight and a half by eleven workbook, and I used Maxi's structure. It's called Hey, Are You There? It's Me, God. How to Listen, Test, and Know When God Speaks. And I take stories from church history, and I take stories from my life, and I take stories from contemporary peers. Look at the times when they sensed be they are being guided or led tease out the implications that are in there, and then give people an opportunity to write down what it is that they're thinking and reflecting on, or how they're praying about whatever matter is before them. That's a a five-day-a-week interactive resource with a video component that goes with it and a study guide at the end of each week. The goal there is to teach people how to pay attention to the to the leading of the Lord, the leading of his spirit. And then there's the healing prayer book, which I co-wrote with Matthew, Maxie. Those are the four that are on the market. There was a little brochure that I did that was published by my denomination. I'm a Christian Missionary Alliance pastor. It was called Sifting Our Discerning, and it was about 65 or 66 pages of writing. And that's no longer in print. So you can say I've written 4.5 or 5 if you want to without stretching the truth too far. But each one has to do with teaching people. How to be more effective in their spiritual disciplines.
0: Now, uh, uh, Whitaker House is the uh, publisher of Healing Prayer. Did they publish your other books as well? No, that was a bit of a story too. So here's
1: what, uh, here's the backstory. So I made a decision to say yes to this type of approach of work back in 2019. And my bishop, Uh, said to me we're going to find a way to get you paid for this and he did in fact do that so that was helpful and I started in 2020 and here's what happened COVID hit the international borders were shut down all the conferences that I was booked in to speak at weren't going to happen and um, I wound up you know and what are you going to do when you're COVID in Canada no more than 10 people were allowed in a room so churches were closed Uh, doctor's offices only saw one patient at a time people going into the emergency ward could not be accompanied i mean this we're talking insurance companies or any kind of company any building 10 people max and we weren't allowed to drive more than 60 miles it was crazy for the first part of it so every conference that i was supposed to do didn't happen it just it just didn't happen so i started to write and uh, i had known maxie before and uh, we did a little tiny book which was a pre-write that led to a small little brochure like book It was called Healing Prayer is God's Idea. And what had happened was I had produced a brochure for my little church, and he had come to speak at my church, and he had a brochure in his hand. And mine had to do with how the the actual prayer moment happens. His had had to do with setting up structure. We saw that we both were writing on the same topic, and our theology was very similar. And we overlapped those two books and created a small little brochure and published it on Amazon. Whitaker House read the brochure. And it was only like uh, 60 pages, something like it. It a small little, you know, uh, five by eight little book. And it was on Amazon only. We didn't publish uh, through the big publishing houses. And I just did that with him to learn how to publish. You know what I'm saying? That's, that's why I did it. And he was very gracious to help me. And then I called him one day. And De- it was December of last year, just about a year ago. And I said, you know, Maxie, that book's too small. We need to expand it because we just did that so I could learn Amazon. Why don't we just expand this, add some more stories, add some more teaching? And he agreed. And listen, Aaron, literally two days later, we get a phone call from a marketing agent from Whitaker House. And he said, we have seen your book on Amazon. We have read it. We'd like to pick it up and publish it. Um, Would you you be prepared to expand it? (laughs) We just started the writing. It was the craziest thing. Anyway... We said yes, and the new one is four times the size of the old one. The new one was about 56, 57 pages. The new one is 208 pages. And so uh, there's fresh writing all the way through it, although it contains virtually all of what was in the old book with a few minor edits. But that was really quite a remarkable thing. Um, because, now, now here's the thing, and I think this is why we got noticed. Maxi was a million seller. I'm new to the market. They knew his name because he had published that workbook, A Living Prayer, and he was famous. Inside his tradition, he's a Methodist. And uh, as it turned out, uh, he was gracious enough to co-write with me. They called him before they called me. And I think I'm riding the crest of the wave here. That's how Whitaker noticed me. Anyway, I just was there. I, I just went to the, the publisher's office like last week to meet the Whitaker House people because the book came out on November 21. We are talking fresh just a little short while ago here. And I wanted to be there. They recorded a podcast with me, just like we're doing with this one, because they wanted to use that for marketing the book from, from their end as well. So that's how it happened.
0: I have time for uh, one final question. What role does spiritual medicine have in a society with modern science-driven healthcare?
1: Oh, listen, they're parallel tracks, and sometimes they overlap. Here's the reality. I have been the recipient of much medicine and I'm very grateful for it. Uh, in fact, right now I' got a bit of a cold and I've, I know I've taken my, my neooctrant, I don't know if you sell that down there. I've taken my cold meds you know, because I want to be able to speak to you on the podcast. <laughs> so there's no conflict between medicine and miracle. and here's the reality. Medicine can take you so far. And then there comes a moment when even the doctors and the nurses and the medical people in the field will say, That's as much as we can do and that's when people cry out. So if you could picture two hands side by side, two parallel paths, scientific endeavor has to do with cause and effect It has to do with people making decisions about how the trajectory of a particular kind of disease goes and how you treat that. They propose a hypothesis, they test it, they see whether or not it's so. And then they can tell you that nine times out of ten, a particular disease works this way and this particular antibiotic works on it and so on. You should not denigrate that. That And very often medical cures come because somebody was moved with compassion because their neighbor died in a car accident or their kid's sister died of leukemia or something like that. And they've dedicated their life to, to trying to figure out how to improve the human condition. If that gift of 25 or 30 years of research comes to you, you should take the medicine and be thankful. The other side of the equation is where we're talking about the intervention of the divine. And those who take medicine and those who don't, are very aware that the reality of God is real. And you cry out to God regardless of what your situation is. And sometimes God in his mercy will lead you in a pathway to somebody's research. Sometimes the research ends and doesn't have an answer. And what you have to do is to go over into the other side and cry out to God for healing. I was healed miraculously when my face was paralyzed and medical science could do nothing for me. I had Ramsey-Hunt syndrome. I have a medical doctor's note to verify this one. He could do nothing more. And somebody prayed for me and I was healed. It was a remarkable thing. So I accessed what I could with science. And I said, you know what? Science can only take me so far. And so what I'm going to do is trust the Lord in the middle of this. So if you could just picture the two hands going side by side like over uh, highways. And then from time to time, picture them having a shared lane. And then picture them having lanes that separate out. They're parallel. They're on different trajectories. And sometimes they overlap. Is that a helpful answer?
0: Yes, that is. Okay. Uh, D- uh, David, you were a very interesting guest for the Heartland Author podcast. And I thank you for appearing on here. It's a delight, absolute delight to be with you. It has been the experience of a lifetime to host the Heartland Author Podcast and interview so many authors and so many other important people in the writing world. This podcast is not going away, but it will have a new name after the new year. Starting in January, this podcast will be renamed Apollo Papyrus for the seventh season and beyond, but you'll still get to hear from many wonderful authors and other people who are important in the writing world. I already have a ton of interviews for Apollo Papyrus booked, so I look forward to interviewing more authors, writers, and others who work in the writing world. I thank everyone for their support of this podcast for the slightly more than three years it has been in existence, and I hope you all continue to support this podcast under its new name going forward. This is Aaron Apollo Camp signing off for the Heartland Author Podcast. I look forward to hearing from y'all on Apollo Papyrus after the new year. Onward! You can learn more about me and my book writing projects at camparonapollo.witsite.com forward slash author AAC. You can follow me on Facebook at Author AAC and on Instagram at AACScribe. Copyright 2023, Aaron Apollo Camp, All Rights Reserved. This podcast episode is intended for the private listening of our audience. Any reuse or retransmission of this podcast episode without the express written consent of the podcast host is prohibited, except under fair use guidelines. Royalty-free music and sound effects obtained from HTTPS colon forward slash forward slash www.zapsplat.com.